Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for uh, listening in on the latest uh, 3D Tech Talks podcast series devoted to 3D printing. As we remind you with every episode, 3D Tech Talks is devoted to bringing listeners like yourselves up to date on all things related to the additive manufacturing sector, whether it's the printers or the filaments or new software, new applications. This is a remarkably uh, changing fast field that will have implications for the manufactured world for years and years to come. So we just want to keep everyone up to date on that. Today we have a guest that um, I'm very, very happy to introduce. I met Mike Bogomolny, and I've been practicing saying that properly. I met Mike last uh, <laughs> February at the Anaheim Conference Center. We were, um, Mike was one of the speakers at our 3D printing session talks and he did a really, really interesting talk on their company, Paramatters, which is devoted to uh, a generative design algorithm. And Mike is, of course, the CTO and one of the co-founders. So, Mike, thanks a lot for joining us today. We appreciate it very much. <laughs> my, my pleasure, Jake. Thank you very much for taking your my time. My pleasure. Mike, the way I'd like to kick this off is I, uh, it's a little bit clunky, but I would like to read to you the definition of generative design from Wikipedia. <laughs> and I don't think this definition is very good, but I will leave that to your judgment, and then maybe you can help our listeners get a better understanding of what is generative design and the value of it. So the, the definition here is generative design is an iterative design process that involves a program that will generate a certain number of outputs that meet certain constraints and a designer that will fine tune the feasible region by changing minimal and maximal values of an interval in which a variable of the program meets the set of constraints in order to reduce or augment the number of outputs to choose from. Now, I think his definitions go, that kind of sucks. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too, too complicated. I, I, think, I think regular user can lose so, you. Yeah, definition. Uh, Mike, if you're looking for some part-time work, perhaps you could uh, call up Wikipedia and help them rewrite some of their uh, text there. Yeah. But Mike, for the benefit of our listeners, before we get to power matters and the power of what your company is doing, can you simplify for everyone what is generative, generative design and why, why is this valuable? Yeah, yeah. So let me start from what is design. Basically, design is generating shapes, right? So today, up till today, the way people generate shapes were using either drafting and or today they use CAD mm -hmm. tools. Now, traditional CAD tools, they tailored for traditional manufacturing. And the, the way design is done is basically user generates shapes manually based on its intuition. Now, generative design is the way to generate optimal shapes, any shape, using algorithms. Basically, the idea is let's apply certain forces, constraint, and let the algorithm to figure out what would be the most optimal for shape for a given application. So when you ask me, what's the maybe shortened definition of what is generative design? I would say it's algorithm-based mm -hmm. design. Mm -hmm. 
that's the main idea behind it. It's shortened version. The shortened version, the algorithm based. And <laughs> from the point of view of the engineer or the designer, what what additional resources is this giving them? Whether they're working in aerospace or automotive or or any other field. Yeah. So this is a very important. We should maybe uh, slightly separate industrial designers from engineering Good. designers. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, because industrial designers, they're more care about aesthetics mm-hmm. and shapes, while engineering designers, they care about performance. And performance, I mean, means weight versus uh, physical performance, ability to carry weight or to carry some physical specific performance like vibration modes. So... Uh, Speaking about this, basically, let's say, let's take, for example, aerospace or mechanical engineering, engineer who is designing a part. He basically would like to minimize weight such that under given loading conditions, part will not break. So engineering wise, we define this problem. Let's minimize weight such that stresses or deformation don't violate given value. We know as an input parameters, the forces, we know the material properties, and we let the algorithm to generate the most optimal possible design for this given application. I I think that was something that really jumped out at me um, at your presentation last February. The level of, uh, I think the word I'm looking for is specificity that you give the user about the inputs, the, the, the stresses, the tolerances, the loads. So you're, you're really giving the individual a lot of control in the creation of the part, even though it's the algorithm that creates the part. Is that an accurate way to put it? Yeah, so usually when you design a part, you know the usual, you, you know where part can live, where it's bounding box, you know the mounting points. So these features uh, you have to define, the mounting points, the, the bearing load areas, which have to be kept uh, as they are in, for the algorithm. I mean, they have to be untouched by the algorithm. And then you can also define parts which can be touched by the algorithm and let it let generative design process to to uh, allow generate shape to carry giving loads scenario. Now, what is also very important to mention, it's not just nice shape generation. It's backed by finite element analysis and optimization methods. Basically, what is happening, it's an iterative process where where material is redistributed between finite elements until we converge to the right shape, which satisfies all engineering constraints. And I'm talking about engineering constraints like deformation, stresses, vibration modes, strains, and so on. You just said something really interesting. And you said it when we were talking not long ago. It's not just about generating nice shapes. Do you think think that's... um, do you think that's kind of a misconception in the public side that there are people still learning about about the, the value of this approach to design? They don't really get it yet. I think yes, because people look at nice organic shapes and say, "Oh, they cool," and some of them say, "Oh, how they they." People don't know how they are generated. Most mm. of cases, and they they are backed by physics. It's not just nice shape generation. By you know by 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 product they look cool and very organic, and actually the only way to gen- to to realize these shapes are three D printing. Mm. 
uh, and and this is this is where it shines because uh, because we need to for 3D printing we need to deliver high performance structures. But again, coming back to design itself, it's very important to understand that these shapes were generated were were physics driven, load driven. If we will change loading conditions shape will be different or if we will change material properties shape again will be different and that's that's something where uh, you and i are very much on the same page i i feel very strongly that um generative design of the kind that power power matters can provide and 3d printing are completely complementary technologies to use an analogy that everybody can relate to it's like ketchup and hamburger this really goes together, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so I think my question would be, because uh, you're so important, you brought it up, um, creating, creating designs that have to be 3D printed. Do you think that there are people who look at the shapes, and I, I've been through your website a number of times now, and there are still people in the manufacturing space who don't realize that right away, that maybe they're thinking, well, yeah, that's a really functional shape and maybe it meets all the tolerances, but we can't make that. And you have to say to them, no, you can't. You have to 3D print it. You have to, <laughs> you have to kind of point out yeah. the whole process to them. Yeah, T totally, totally agree with you. So first of all, you know, coming back to 3D printing, traditional design tools were tailored for traditional manufacturing. And actually, if you have a design which was designed for, let's say, milling right. or, 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 in, or in casting. Injection molding, castings, yeah. Oh, injection yep. molding, yeah. It doesn't really ma make sense to 3D print this part because for 3D printing, you need to redesign mm -hmm. to realize the, the ability to, 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 to bring into reality the complexity of these shapes. Now, uh, we, are, we can demonstrate several cases many cases where we can reduce significantly weight of part per given number of load cases and for for function, functionality and only a way to generate these optimal lightweighted shapes are 3d printing i, I in my our website you can see yeah. probably the trailing trailing arm suspension mm -hmm. system which we redesigned for mini cooper it was 47 percent lighter than the casted part of course the shape was uh, was complex and the only way to realize was 3d printing but this is where it shines if you look into high performance and light weighted designs the way to go is via generative design process and 3d printing this is uh, this is they they it, it it's like it's a solution includes these two parts the digital design and digital manufacturing that is where industry goes the, um you brought up such an interesting point there and an important point. Um, so I talked to a lot of manufacturing companies across a lot of different industrial sectors, and they know a lot about CNC machining and injection molding and castings. And, we, and it's interesting, some of the people I talk to aren't really aware yet that if you're just taking a part and saying, okay, should we 3D print it or not, you're sort of starting in the middle of, 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 the, of the dialogue that you really have to say, can or even should this part be redesigned, redesigned to take advantage of additive 
technologies. And I, I find that's not always obvious to some people that I, I talk to. Um, and, I, and I'll say to them, if, there's, if, if this part that you have, whatever it does, if it's reached the peak of its evolution, if there is no better performance to be had, well, keep making it the way you're making it. <laughs> you don't need it. It works. Exactly. But exactly. If, if, yeah, there exactly. Is, uh, if there is a better design, but, it, but there's no way to make it with your traditional processes, then yes, you have to learn how to design for this technology. And that's where Power Matters plays a huge role. That, that's where you guys shine, right? <laughs> That that's true. That's true. This is where we're coming. We come into the game exactly as you said. Once you go to 3D printing, you have to redesign for 3D printing. You will get better performance, weight versus performance. And what is also very important in our design process, our our designs are manufacturable. Means yeah. manufacturable. We in our generative design process have a very robust way of controlling feature sizes, thicknesses of walls, of beams, such that the part is manufacturable. Mm -hmm. This is also very, very important. And uh, what is also, I have to mention, uh, that typical design process in, uh, if I will, if I look at typical bracket design in today's uh, industry, this process takes from few weeks up till months, even sometimes few months, is depending on the complexity of the part, because typical design process in, uh, includes few engineers, where one is designing and another is validating design, and and basically generative design allows generating these shapes within hours, and uh, hence uh, engineers have more capacity to generate more and more designs at the same time. So we shorten design process significantly. And uh, so the design to manufacturing and design and manufacturing process as exists today, using generative design and additive manufacturing is going to be significantly shortened and to be more efficient. Okay, Mike, I just want to give you a heads up. Every, every minute or two, you go, uh, yeah. you go quiet for a couple of seconds. I don't know if you're moving around oh. or if you're near a window or not near a window. No, actually, I, I, okay, I'm sitting. I'm sitting right okay. here. Okay, yeah. terrific. We appreciate that. Now, um, so let's segue this into more about power matters. Now, when I when I read the rest of that Wikipedia write up on generative design, uh, it says on here at least there are some white papers going all the way back to 1991 and maybe earlier. Typically. Typically, concepts like this have a long, a long ramp-up period until the technology and the knowledge uh, and the awareness to use it all start to come together. So I, I'm assuming Power Matters is now at a point where with the power of your algorithm and the math that you put into it, this is, this is taking it to a new peak. Would that, would that be an accurate way to look at it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a nice question. So generative design, as I said, algorithm-based design, and some of the algorithms that we used are based on finite element analysis and topology optimization. So topology optimization used to be a niche uh, area in, uh, in the structural optimization community. And I am a former researcher in the in academic world, can tell you that uh, uh, it has been evolving uh, significantly since late 90s and today uh, technology is much, much 
more mature and uh, when additive manufacturing came into the game uh, somehow all these things start converging yes. together yes. so this is also very important so today I, what I would like to mention, in order to have very high quality design, you need also to go to high resolution. High resolution means you have to discretize your your domain to very small elements. And this discretization to small elements requires a lot of computational effort. And uh, today we have cloud computing, which allows uh, to go to high resolution, to generate designs effectively on the cloud and provide users with high quality design in short period of time. And this is what we do at Parameters. We are able to generate very high performance designs using super high resolution. We, in our website, you can yeah. see uh, models which were generated using 60 million elements. So discretization of 60 million finite elements topology optimization process, uh, let's say maybe 10 years ago, five years ago, if you would tell anybody that we are generating such designs, wouldn't believe, but it's possible today. And again, you know, it's convergence of high performance computing, accessible cloud uh, computing resources, uh, advanced algorithms, mm -hmm. uh, additive manufacturing, and all together it converges to the new paradigm of, of how we design and manufacture. Where where do you think we are in... Actually, I, I'm, I just interrupted myself. Five yeah. years ago, when I was brand new in the 3D printing world, I had just started as an enterprise executive, very fancy title at MakerBot. Um, we were still of the mindset that 3D printing would change a lot of things, would have a big impact, but there, there was still maybe no real awareness about the kind of production impact it could have. People still thought more in the low volume run, the prototyping run. When you bring in a Parameters, and then you bring in companies like Hewlett Packard and their, and their partnership with BASF, which is new materials, new processes. And when you bring into the, the awareness of, of learning to design for additive technologies, could you take a guess is where do you think we are in starting to realize just how much components, assemblies, products, whatever, might start to benefit from this, or is it just still too soon? Because it's a vast world of manufactured products. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's hard yeah. to know right now how, how much of this is going to impact in the, in the coming, I'll say, 20 years. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's a great question. Let's try to be in you know, profits and see how right. it goes. <laughs> but what I can tell you that, you know, coming back from Formnext, the biggest yeah. printing show, uh, which was uh, mid-November, months ago in Germany, I can tell you that uh, if previously uh, my impression was that people look at printing part or generating just, you know, ability to print part today, people look at most of the industry look at full manufacturing process, so it's so-called digital factory. They, they, they talk about not only manufacturing part; it's also simulating how part will be built, how part will be printed, uh, post-processing, post-machining, quality control. Mm -hmm. So this is if you ask about 
like uh, not only prototyping that was your question so five years ago people were talking about 3d printing as prototyping to make it legitimate manufacturing method we need to have all these processes design uh, uh, preparation for design a simulation of design uh, uh, sorry and uh, manufacturing itself post machining and quality control and actually parameters are really looking into the future we have plans to be involved in all these parts of of digital uh, digital thread uh, regarding uh, uh, you mentioned uh, bsf uh, hp uh, partnership. There are many partnerships in this yeah. in, in this area. Yeah. Actually, and that's very very positive and very good. Each company contributes on his uh, his uh, expertise in order to evolve. I can tell you that I see that first of all, if we want to make it uh, just mass manufacturing process, first it should be cheaper. It should be faster. And 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 the quality should be should 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 be able because you know today quality control is a step for the traditional manufacturing, and I can apparently I can see that speed goes up significantly. Uh, we see some new companies like Nexa 3D that 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 break speed limit. Uh, we can see uh, that materials range of materials increases significantly, and the quality of materials becoming much much better. If previously, you know, if you look at F, let's say plastic printing, if you look at FDM uh, processes which has very anisotropic material properties, the newer concepts of SLA, SLAs have more isotropic material properties. And actually, I, I, I think that maybe the plastics world will be the first breaker into mass production and metal will become a little later, but who knows? The, um, the metal is a really interesting question. I talk to companies who, um, who are, you know, kind of, get kind of excited about 3D printing and metal but then when you really take them through the process of what it takes to design for it and help them understand that metal 3D printing, for, for as, as much as it has accomplished, still requires a fair amount of post-print processing, a lot of post-print processing. Uh, it kind of gives them a whole take on it. And I even know a, I know a company that sells metal additive machines that very candidly says to their prospective customers, this is a two-year process. Don't think you're going to buy a machine and start using it. <laughs> this, is, this is a two-year process to learn how to get the most out of it. So I agree with you. That's got a little bit longer adoption cycle. Yeah, yeah, but still, still, it's also dependent on the I, – I, I've seen examples where professional people, when they operate machines, they get very nice quality. At mm -hmm. the end, so it's also educational process, exactly as as with parameters. We we are in the process of educating engineers how to use generative design, to to generate uh, higher quality design, and to start trusting uh, what what our platform uh, is providing. So we could clearly show, you know, lighter designs which were. You know, by some users, they saw, oh, it's too light. They kind of were a little bit suspicious. That part is too yeah. light, 35, 40% lighter. And we demonstrated validation of finite element analysis and uh, which, which validated the part. And actually, we have a partner from... Uh, 
from automotive industry called uh, TechniPlus, we have regenerated using generative design designs even for for uh, for injection molding later on these parts were just 3d printed as prototypes and tested in the lab in crash tests and i can tell you that we uh, it was not only what, what i mean it's not not only was analytically validated it was also physical tests which later on showed 8.5 percent weight reduction while we had better uh, physical performance. The durability so, and performance durability. and so on. Yes. Um, okay, Mike, you've, you've really, this whole thing has been so educational and, and, and deeply appreciated. I'd like to give you an opportunity um, to really, in other words, there are obviously multiple generative design platforms, software as companies out there uh, I'll, I'll say to our listeners, I do have a bias. I really like what you guys are doing. <laughs> but, <laughs> Thank um, you. But uh, I'd like to give you the last couple minutes here. Uh, tell us about why y- your website on the homepage says the most powerful generative design software. What are, what are you doing there that is uh, head and shoulders above what everyone else is doing? Yeah. So, uh, First of all, many of uh, generative design tools in the market, most of them actually, they don't provide a final design. Mm-hmm. They just give a hint to user how design looks like, and user has to go and re- rebuild, regenerate geometry manually. Uh, parameters uh, overcomes all this process. Our output is final design, which is ready for printing. This is very important. So we shorten a lot of tedious manual work from the user is basically eliminated. This is the first, which is very important point. Second, (coughs) as I mentioned, we work on very high resolution. Hence, our designs are very detailed and high performance. I'm not aware of any other tool that work on the resolution that we work. We typically can work on on models of tens of millions of elements. Wow. Okay. And yeah, and third point is that we really uh, design for uh, challenging engineering applications. Our uh, software ability, our software allows design taking into account stress, deformation, and uh, very soon we are going to allow also vibration constraints. Uh, when typical topology optimization solutions in the market, they just design for stiffness, for so-called mm. compliance. So if you look at, uh, let's say, aerospace engineer, which care very much about, uh, about uh, fatigue loads and he want to limit stresses and he want to minimize mass under stress constraints, uh, using our platform, I'm pretty sure he can. He will just generate the best design on the market, and design will be complete and manufacturable without any manual re- re- reconstruction of the geometry. I, this I, is why we call it. This is why we call it the most powerful because it's really most powerful. I um I really really find that last point to be so <laughs> well powerful that this is a completed part. Yes, I, I mean I just think. And, you know, you, you might remember that when you, during your talk last February, there was a fellow at the end who said, I think you're putting me out of a job. 
<laughs> which I think you artfully said, no, 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 I don't, not really. But but it is it is kind of profound what what this can mean in the coming years about labor and production and workflow and spare parts and supply chains. I mean, there are some massive implications here coming down the road. Um, all of which are, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't happen. It's good, but wow. <laughs> yeah, but our goal here is to to augment engineer. Exactly. We want we want engineer to give tools to create better designs. Yeah. But as as you mentioned, of course, uh, additive manufacturing is going to change the full workflow, the inventory management, and the supply chain for sure, because uh, it, it is going to change, and uh, it's unavoidable that also design process is going to change. And in our eyes, user will just engineer will be able to generate better designs, and his productivity will be increased. He will be able yeah. to, to 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 do much more at the same time. I mean, say and, same period of time. And this is going to lead to better public safety and better design. I mean, it, it's all good. It's all good. It's just it, it's yeah. just going to be a impactful change. Um, well, Mike, uh, this has been very, very much appreciated. And for the benefit of our listeners, I'd like you all to know that uh, for the second time, I'll have the pleasure of introducing Mike at the Pacific Design and Manufacturing Show in Anaheim, California. Mike's talk will be uh, Wednesday, February 6th, uh, from 4 o'clock to 4.45. The title of Mike's presentation is making generative design your new asset, the current benefits and future value of this emerging practice. Um, one of the reasons I like to volunteer to be the host or the moderator on these talks is I get a front row seat to talks like yours, Mike, which I really, <laughs> which uh, I really Jack, appreciate. <laughs> Jack, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I see for last few years, I see that, you know, the audience, the people more and more educated and understand better and presentations becoming more and more interactive and important. And I'm looking forward into introduction of, of, of new advanced uh, capabilities that our platform allows to do, including thermal loads. That is what we added recently. Thermal loads, pressure loads, uh, and... Uh, uh, stress deformation constraints. So we are really going into, uh, you know, we, we work with many customers in, in, in very closely and we try to learn what their problems are and this is where how we improve our product. Um, well, I, I'm certainly looking forward to the next, uh, the next talk coming up and this has been very much appreciated. I'm sure we'll be talking before then, Mike, but um, yeah. I look forward to seeing you in February in Anaheim, and I wish Paramatters every continued success and, uh, and evolution <laughs> in this field. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you for your, for your time and your wishes, and I, uh, I wish you and all uh, our audience uh, the Happy New Year and, uh, and a great holiday season, and looking forward to seeing you. Thank you, Mike, and a great holiday you, uh, to you as well. All right. Thank you, Jack. Bye-bye. Thank you.